So as you return to your seats tonight, we're going to be in Psalm 126. Uh, we were there a couple of Wednesdays ago. We're back there again tonight. And Lord willing, we'll be back there next Wednesday as well. Psalm 126. And tonight we're going to read the entire psalm together. And uh, just looking at a couple of verses tonight as we continue our study on bearing precious seed. Psalm 126, when you found it, I invite you, if you would, to stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 126. We'll read all six verses. Would you read them in unison with me? The Bible says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Father, as we look into your word tonight, we ask, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. May your spirit have free course to move among us, to convict us, to challenge and encourage us, and in all things make us more like Christ. May we, I pray, intentionally respond as your spirit speaks to us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 126 is a psalm that celebrates salvation. The context is the celebration of the end of the Jewish captivity in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had devastated the city. He had carried the Jews captive into Babylon. And for 70 years, the, the, the Jewish people had remained captive in Babylon. But at the end of 70 years, God saved them and set them free. You know, salvation really is something worth celebrating. Amen? The beginning of the psalm, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist wrote, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Boy, our salvation is certainly something worth celebrating. I will tell you, our great redemption is certainly something worth remembering. You look at the title of this psalm, if you have your Bibles open, uh, above verse 1, you'll see the statement, A Song of Degrees. And what that means is this is one of the psalms that the people would sing every year as they returned to Jerusalem for the feast. As they traveled upwards to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms and it would prepare their hearts for the feast in Jerusalem. So every year as they returned to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs and remember the great redemption that God had given them. Verse number 3, we see the statement, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I'm going to tell you, church, we ought to celebrate our salvation often. We ought to give God praise for our salvation often. We ought never get over what God has done for us. And we ought to remember it 
as often as we can. But Psalm 126 is not just a psalm that remembers what God has done. Psalm 126 is also a request for God's continued blessing. I think that's important for us, churches. We remember the great things that God has done in us and for us and through us. I think we have to remember the job's not done. Amen? That God has left us here for a reason. We live in a world that desperately needs Jesus. But if we are going to continue to be a church where people can find the help and the hope and the home that Jesus offers, well, guess what? We desperately need God to continue to do great things in us. Amen? Amen. What we have as a church is precious. What we hold as a church, as ambassadors of the gospel of Christ, is precious. And as we consider this psalm of salvation, a couple of weeks ago, we we remembered this. As we bear precious seed before the world, we have to remember our great redemption. Tonight, I really want to key in on verse number four. And as we consider uh, this thing of bearing precious seed, not only do we remember a great redemption, but church also to remember that we we have a great request as well. Look with me, verse 3, and then we'll jump into verse 4. The Bible says this, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. But then in verse 4, it turns, it, it shifts, if you would. And the psalmist says this, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. So we went from celebrating in verses 1 through 3. We went from remembering in verses 1 through 3. And in verse 4, we find a request. We find a prayer. A couple of notes about this prayer this evening. And things that I believe we need to remember to pray for as well. First of all, we see a captive people. A captive people. Verse 4 begins, turn again our captivity. Now at first it seems like perhaps there's a contradiction here. Because you go back up to verse 1, the Bible says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. So verse number 1, the Lord has turned our captivity. What does the psalmist mean in verse number 4 where he prays, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Well, church, obviously, there is no contradiction in the Word of God. Amen? So what we have here historically is this. When the Jewish people were released from captivity, they were not all of them released to flood back into Jerusalem at once. Not all of them were able to go. In fact, if you look historically, they came back in remnants over time. And the truth was, while many were free... Many were still dispersed. Many were still captive. In verse 4, I think, begins as a reminder to you and I. It is right and good and necessary that we remember and celebrate what God has done on our behalf. That we are a child of the King. That we are saved. Amen? 
that we are a joint heir with Christ. That the Spirit of God lives within us, that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. I think it is right and it is good that we remember what God has done and we celebrate the gift that God has given us. But the reality is, not everybody knows the same freedom in Christ that you and I do. And while some are free, hallelujah, many though are not. Many are still lost. Many are still captive to Satan and sin. And the reminder is simply this. Church, in our blessing, we cannot forget those who are still bound. In our blessing, we cannot forget those who are still bound. Now, church, we know the heart of God is to save the lost. Amen? In Matthew 18 and verse 11, Jesus made the statement regarding Himself, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. In verse 12, He begins to talk about that, that how the, the Good Shepherd, He will leave the ninety and nine to go do what? To go find the one lost sheep. We know that the heart of God is to save the lost. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 reminds us that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering to us, word what? Not willing that, what is it, church? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that the heart of God is to save the lost. But church, do we share the heart of God? Do we share the heart of God? For the lost. Now I know you're in church on a Wednesday night, so of course we share the heart of God, right? Can I challenge us tonight? It is one thing uh, to, to share the heart of God on a philosophical end. It is a whole nother end to share the heart of God on a practic- in a practical way. Let me give you an illustration. It's the illustration. John, can I step on this? Is that all right? All right. It is the illustration of the two communists who were, who were having a chat. Do we have any communists in the house tonight? Okay, good. I can pick on communists without getting in trouble with them. It's the old illustration of the two communists. And the one communist to the other said, Comrade, if you had two houses, would you give me one? And the other communist said, Well, of course I would, comrade. If I had two houses, I would give you one. And he said, Wonderful. He said, Comrade, let me ask you this. If you had two cars, would you give me one? And he said, well, of course, comrade, if I had two cars, I would give you one. And so he asked, he said, well, comrade, if you had two chickens, would you give me one? And he said, no, no, I would not. And he said, well, why? He said, because I have two chickens. <laughs> you see, it's, it's one thing to, to, to be bought in philosophically. Well, of course we care about the lost. It's another thing to share the heart of God practically. How do I know the difference? Well, let me ask you. Who's on your prayer list that you're praying for their salvation? Who is it? What's the name? Who's the person? Is it a neighbor? Is it a co-worker? Is it a family member? Is it a kid? Who is it? Who is it? Who is that person? 
That you are praying for their salvation. Who is that person that you are intentionally investing in their life for the sake of the gospel? You're, you're, you're baking them a plate of cookies and inviting them to church. You're, you're having them over. You're doing things. Who is it that you are intentionally investing in their life for the sake of the gospel? Who is it? You see, that's the difference between being in philosophical agreement. That's easy to do because it doesn't cost me anything. That's very different than being in a very practical way sharing the heart of God for the lost. But you see, when we truly have a grasp and are grateful on how great our redemption is, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when the Lord turned again our captivity, we were like them that dreamed. Like, this is incredible. How can this be real? When we truly grasp and are grateful for the greatness of our salvation, you know what it does? Our deliverance, it really almost creates a sense of debt towards those who are still captive under sin's dominion. You know, Paul expressed this in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13. He said, I wouldn't have you be ignorant, brother. He said, often I, I purpose, I intended to come unto you. But I was led or prevented hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Verse 14, he said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. He says, for as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul said, there is a sense of debt in my heart when I see what God has given me. Boy, I want everybody to have that. You see, why would the psalmist say in verse number four, turn again our captivity? Because the psalmist realized that while some were free, many were not. You know, the reality is most of the world around us is lost and on their way to hell. That was Jesus' assessment of things. That broad is the way. Wide is the gate. And many there be that go in thereat. The world around us is lost. You see, you don't have to look that far to find somebody who needs Jesus. Chances are you can see them from where you live. Chances are you can see them from where you work. Chances are you run into them just about every time you leave your house. You see, you don't have to look far. But you do have to be intentional. Because isn't it very easy to maintain a burden for the lost and yet have no lost person on our heart? That's easy to do. It's comfortable to do. But I'm going to tell you, if we're going to do as we ought to do, bearing this precious seed for the glory of God, we're going to have to be intentional to pray for a captive people, to be intentional to see people, to be intentional to seek opportunity, to be intentional that the lost around us don't become lost to us. In fact, Jesus had to point out to His disciples who were very concerned that He eat. Jesus said, no, 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 guys. John 4 and verse number 35, he said, 
Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. We've said it before, but I think it bears repeating. When we consider our great request, this thing of of reaching the lost and bearing precious seed, when it comes to our prayerless church, we have to be careful that we don't spend more time praying to keep the saved out of heaven than we do praying to keep the lost out of hell. Who is it on your prayer list? Who is it in your life? Bearing precious seed requires that we pray for the captive people around us. A captive people. Let's continue. Verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. I want to focus in, secondly, on those next two words, O Lord. And we see that we aren't just praying for a captive people, we are praying to one with capable power. We are praying to one with capable power. Turn again our captivity, O Lord. The plight of those still captive was not lost on the psalmist, but neither was the answer. You see, when the Jewish remnant considered those who were still in Babylon, considered those who were dispersed, considered those who were still captive, you know what the Jewish remnant didn't do? They didn't scheme a great attack. Well, you know, guys, now that we're back, let's just get together. Let's storm them and let's take them back by force. The Jewish remnant also didn't try to develop a comprehensive, relevant, and engaging public relations campaign. No, what they did was they took the need to the only one who had the power to meet that need. They took the need to the Lord. You'll notice there that Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The name Lord here is significant. It is a cry to the one who makes and keeps covenants with his people. It is a cry to the one who brought them out of Egypt. The one who brought them into the promised land. The one who uh, prospered them. The one who had protected them. The one who had promised them and preserved them through captivity to a certain end. It was a reliance on God alone to redeem those still captive. You know, church, as we consider this psalm of salvation and we make application to our own lives as we seek to bear witness of the salvation that we have received, church, I think we have to be careful never to do so apart from an absolute reliance on the Lord God of heaven. You see, it's not our assault on the gates of hell that matters. It's not human effort or strength. It's also not our well-crafted, comprehensive PR scheme to the community that's going to make the difference. It is the power of God working through us that matters. Amen. Amen. Right. 
It is God alone that destroys the hold of Satan. Church, remember, those who are lost, this is not a, a physical thing or a human thing. It is a spiritual thing. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse number 3. He said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Look what he says. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, what? The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, it's not just a physical thing. It is a spiritual battle taking place. Satan seeks to blind the spiritual eyes of the lost that they might not see the light of Christ. But what do we know? 1 John 3 and verse number 8. The Bible says, into that verse, for this purpose... The Son of God was manifested. Why? That He might destroy the works of the devil. You see, you and I can't bind Satan. You and I can't unblind spiritual eyes. But we know one who can. We know one who can. You see, God alone destroys the hold of Satan. God alone draws the heart of the sinner through conviction of the Spirit. Jesus made this statement in John 12 and verse 32. If I be lifted up from the earth, Jesus said, will draw all men to me. The Bible says, speaking of the Spirit's conviction in John 16, that when the Spirit has come, He will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, you and I, we cannot draw their hearts. And church, I think we have to be careful because because sometimes we'll err in one of two ways. We'll seek to use this like a baseball bat and we'll try to beat Jesus into their heads. I'm going to tell you, that's not often very effective. Sometimes you can get people to say a prayer just to get you off their back. But by the way, just saying a prayer to get you off their back is not the same as getting saved. And so sometimes in our zeal, we beat people over the head trying to convict their hearts. I can't convict their hearts, and neither can you. You know the other area sometimes? Sometimes we don't don't take the brash approach where we try to beat them over the head. Sometimes we go the other route. We go the slick willy approach where we sell Jesus like he's a used car. And, and, and boy, we'll try to angle those words and we'll try to, you know, if you just, and, and, and basically, what do we do? We try to use spiritual manipulation. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to manipulate somebody into heaven. You're not going to manipulate somebody into heaven. Boy, you might manipulate them into saying some words, but again, saying some words ain't the same thing as being saved. You see, it's God alone that can break the hold of Satan. It is God alone that convicts and draws the heart of the sinner towards the cross. It is God alone. It is God alone who saves. It is God alone who keeps. But I'm going to tell you, that's good news. Because he's able to save to the uttermost. Amen? And when we go in his strength, we can go in absolute confidence of his capable power. Because no one is beyond his grace. His grace extends to the end of the earth. So here's the thing. 
Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. That we as co-laborers with God, we get to sow the seed. Sometimes we get to water. But who is it that ultimately gives the increase? It's God. So if it's God that destroys the hold of Satan, if it's God that convicts and draws the heart of men, boy, don't you think we should spend more time asking him to do what only he can do? Don't you think we should spend more time Asking Him. Asking Him to do what only He can do. It amazes me. We'll spend so much time. You know, and, and, and I think it's a good thing. If you haven't noticed, we try to put a lot of thought into the stuff we produce around here. So the gospel tracks, the radio tracks, the flyers. We, 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 we seriously try to put a lot of thought into it. But isn't it a sad thing if we put more thought into wording on a card, if we put more thought into a map that goes into a bag, if we put more thought into color schemes and this and that, if we put more thought into that than we do into taking the time to ask God to work through it. Bearing precious seed. Boy, we do, don't we? We do. But if we're going to bear it as we ought, boy, I think our prayer life has got to match. So what do we need to consider? I, I think with the psalmist, first of all, we need to consider a captive people. The lost people around us. You ask him, God will put somebody on your heart. You ask him, God will bring somebody into your life. Who is it? Not just in theory, but in reality. Who is it on your prayer list? A captive people praying for a capable power. God's power. I want you to see how the psalmist ends this verse here. And I'm only getting through one today. The psalmist prays, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now, that phrase there at the end is a little bit foreign to us. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the point and then I'll explain it. So we see a captive people, a capable power. Finally, we're praying in a consuming passion. This thing that we're praying for, praying for the lost, praying for God's power. It being a passion, a drive, a plea that consumes us. Let me illustrate it with how the psalmist did here. So the psalmist here is giving an illustration of what he desires God's renewed blessing and continual deliverance to be like. So when he says, turn our captivity like the streams in the south, what he's referring to is a phenomenon that would occur where a flooding would sweep up from the south and would revive a dry and desolate land. So the psalmist is asking for the blessing and power of God to be poured out in such a way as those who are still captive might be redeemed and restored so that they pour back into the land like a flood. Not a little trickle, not a drip drip. But God so turned the captivity of this people that they pour back in as a flood. But wouldn't that be good? 
If God so poured out His blessing on and through this place that this church wasn't able to hold the people that were coming, that it was standing room only, that we were putting chairs out everywhere, so much so that the fire marshal got mad at us, but when he came, he got saved too. If he's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know the man. So I don't, I don't want to say it anyways. You know what I'm saying though, church? Wouldn't that be awesome? And, and I love what God has done. We're going to talk about it next Sunday night. The people that have gotten saved this year, baptized this year, joined the church this year. Boy, that's a sign of a healthy church. Where, where, where God's people are really giving themselves to, to be busy about God's work. You know, sometimes you get concerned if there's a bunch of people saved, but nobody baptized and nobody joining the church, right? I mean, that's a little, that's a little weird. Or if nobody's getting saved and, and a bunch of people are joining the church, that just means we're trading church members with somebody else somewhere, right? Which, you know, that happens sometimes, but that really probably shouldn't be the lion's share of what's happening. And, and, and so, but you look at that, boy, we're going to rejoice because people are getting saved, people are getting baptized, people are joining the church, and that's wonderful, but I want to see God continue to work. I don't, want to, I don't want to be at ease in what God's done. Boy, I want to rejoice and be neck deep in what God's doing. And I want to see God open his blessing and flood this place with his blessing. It is a consuming passion for the outflowing of God's power that we might see a people pouring into God's family. It is a passion that I, that we, might be that conduit for the streams of God's mercy to flow to those in need. It is a recognition of and a hunger for and a longing to see other people saved. It's being grateful for what God has done, yes. But it is being excited about what He still desires to do. To make an application here. Boy, point number one, a captive people. What are we praying for? I'm praying for a person. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. Amen? That's what I'm praying for. Point number one, that's what I want us all to pray for tonight. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart. I want us to go home tonight with a name to put on our prayer list. With a life that we can turn around tomorrow and invest in for the sake of the gospel. Point number two, we talk about a capable power praying that God would do what only He can do. But point number three, a consuming passion. Here's what we're praying for tonight, church. I'm praying God increase my burden for the lost around me. God increase my burden for the lost around me. Not just praying for souls, but praying for a greater burden for souls. I love the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 in verse number 3 as he spoke of his, his fellow countrymen, the nation of Israel, and their, their, their national blindness to the gospel. This was, this was Paul's statement. He said, for I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Church, that's a burden for souls. That he wished himself accursed from Christ for the sake of his brother. 
John Knox, the Scottish reformer, made the statement, give me Scotland or I die. George Whitfield, the evangelist, said, give me souls or take my soul. You know, I think there has to come a renewed realization that there is no hope apart from Jesus. And that anyone who dies without Christ will go to a Christless eternity in hell forever. That there is no, it just kind of works itself out in the end. There is no, well, God kind of winks and, you know, you know, no. That without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no hope. And church, I really believe that it is worth praying that God would help us see people like He sees them. Pray that God would help us love people like He loves them. Pray that God would help us long for people as He longs for people. We've been given precious seed to bear. We are ambassadors of the gospel. We are light of Christ. We are the body of Christ in this world. We bear precious seed. But tonight, as we consider the precious seed that we have been given, the message tonight is about our great request. Church, some things that we need to learn to take to the Lord. (coughs) Who is it that God wants to put on your heart, on your prayer list, in your life, in your burden to reach the world? Let's not fail to reach one. Who is it that's on your heart? What is it that we need to ask God to do? How deeply do we truly share God's heart? You know, church, we know that being a witness and being a light is God's will for us. Amen? I don't have to wonder if that's what God wants me to do. So if I know that that's God's will for me, I can pray for that with confidence. So here's the thing. James 4.2 reminds us what? That often we have not because we ask not. I want to encourage each of us during this time of invitation to take some elements of these great requests before the Lord in prayer. Standing